Hello, welcome once again to the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter Podcast. I am your host, the Communication Director of the Chapter, Tony Heil, and today I have a special guest, um, a frequent guest of the podcast, Elisa Brownlee, who runs our assistive technology program and has done almost everything that's involved in the chapter in some way, shape, or form. Um, I'm trying to think of something she hasn't done related to the success of the chapter in some small way, and off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. Well, I don't fundraise well. But you've tried, but you've done it. <laughs> I have done it, but I, I'd rather spend the money than ask for it. <laughs> so, I didn't say that you've done everything well. I said you've done almost everything here. Uh, and so, that includes from the uh, helping people with patient services to answering the phones and emails, and that goes into the topic of today's podcast. Uh, this year, we're celebrating our 40th year as a chapter, and for that, we are honoring the promise and advancing the mission. And the promise of the chapter has been a lot about listening to patients and families so we understand them and reaching out to them and and being able to craft our chapter and our services and our research to best fit the needs of ALS families. One way of doing that in the beginning in 1981, 82, was through the start of resource groups, support groups in people's uh, homes and then into clinics later on. And then later into the 1990s, Technology started to change, and our chapter had to evolve too. And Elisa has the person who is most involved with our assistive technology has also been most involved in the growth of our personal technology here at the chapter and reaching out through computers, social media, email. And so she's going to tell us a little bit about the history of the chapter and her 20 years here of how we honored that promise of listening to patients and advanced our mission by improving the way we communicate and listen and understand and get information out using every means possible. So, Elisa, thank you. You're welcome. And in addition to technology, I will confess that uh, we did this last week, (laughs) and the technology on my laptop decided to fail (laughs) after a wonderful conversation. So if people are listening and they think that this is not great, just it was amazing the first time. (laughs) It was amazing last week, but we're going to try to recreate that chemistry, aren't we? The magic. (laughs) Magic. So speaking of the magic, we're going to talk about the magic of a computer. Who knows how it all works? It's all tubes, Mm -hmm. as I recall a senator saying. But you've been here for over 20 years, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's quite a long time to be doing anything. Yeah. And, but, um, so you started in 1996? Correct. Now, at that time, you answered an ad. I did. Um, I was desperately searching to get out of my career, which at that time was in hospitality management. Um, that's what my undergraduate degree is in, and then I have a degree in history. And I didn't get a teaching certificate with the history, so, you know. um, But now you're living history. (laughs) That's true. Now I'm living my history. So I had, um, back in the old days, for the millennials and others, um, we used something called the one ads, and they were in the paper, um, and there wasn't anything online, um, because really the internet was just coming to uh, personal use at that time. Uh, So I had ripped out an ad. and I think it was for an activities director or something. But right above that was um, an ad for uh, a patient services administrator with the ALS Association. And so as I was, you know, 
trying to be subtle on my lunch hour and, and do my cover letter and send out my resume, I looked at the ad on the top of it and I went, you know, why not? Right. And um, the ad on the top was the one that called me back. Um, Lori Barish was the person who called me. Um, left me a voicemail, I want to say on a Friday afternoon. And this wasn't on your cell phone, of course. No, this was on your home no, answering this was about my home answering machine on a tape. Right. Um, <laughs> so all of this technology is very old. <laughs> That's right. And uh, she said who she was, and she was calling from the ALS Association, what I call, and what I call them back on Monday. Um, and because I wanted to be knowledgeable about what was going on, um, I went to the library over the weekend, because that's what we did at that time. Um, no internet at the time. And, and I researched, I, I remember going up to a very old librarian um, that had been there since I was a kid and saying, do you know what ALS is? Because I don't. And he kind of, you know, stroked his beard and goes, I think that's Lou Gehrig's disease. And let's go to the card catalog and look it up. Mm -hmm. And we did. Um, and um, I took out a book called This Far No More over the weekend, and I cried the entire weekend. Um, but I felt that I knew what ALS was, so that when I called them back, I could say, yes, I know what it is. And um, then they, they asked me for an interview, and um, I read some more of the books that I had taken out of the library, and I, and I felt like I was really prepared at the time. And... Um, Eventually, obviously, I got hired, um, and so I started as the patient services administrator. One of my jobs was to coordinate all the patient services events, um, which kind of, you know, um, uh, hooked into my previous life in right. hospitality management, and, um, you know, coordinate uh, and, and schedule the support groups and do mailings, and um, about three months in... I, you know, asked to take over the assistive technology program because there wasn't anyone doing it. We had one nurse at the time, and she was just so overwhelmed. Now, what was assistive technology back then? Because um, we didn't because <laughs> we didn't have the Scott right, Mackler program. Right. He wasn't even diagnosed. You're right. You're right. It was. Um, we had four devices at the time. They were called the Epson Real Voices, and then we had a couple of um, devices called a Canon Communicator, and. Um, I can compare a Canon to like a just a small size keyboard, and at the side came this small ticker tape. And when I say small, it mm -hmm. was like a ticker tape. And so the person would type it in, and then the ticker type would spit it out, and then the caregiver would have to read the ticker type. <laughs> ticker so you could put it in your stocks. <laughs> yes. So yes, it was, um, and that was about the extent of our assistive technology at the time. It took until. Uh, well, no. Let me let me amend that. We had an older laptop with woohoo four gigs of memory, woo, um, and that was running in MS DOS. Of course, right. And it took until I want to say almost 1999 for a communication company to come out with software in a Windows format. I remember you telling me that right, last week when right. we did this podcast. Yeah, so we were still using MS-DOS until 1999. Right. And so if a person with ALS wanted to borrow that one computer, MS-DOS didn't get you on the internet. 
it didn't get you any, you know, you couldn't use Word or anything. It was just basically a type and talk laptop. Um, and they were heavy at the time. Um, they were bulky, the laptops. Um, we've come a long way in streamlining laptops and making them lightweight. And, and we're doing that right now right. on this podcast. So right. and this was, and this is a used laptop that's right. many years old. Right. And so it, the, the person with ALS couldn't obviously access the internet. And so, um, we know as the disease progresses, people tend to be more homebound because of the difficulty of getting out or they don't have an accessible van. And now we rely on the internet so much. And at that time, patients couldn't connect with other patients unless they physically went to a support group. Right. Um, or they went to a patient services event, which I was, you know, I was in charge of. So I always tried to say, hey, John, this is Mark, and you guys are from the same county. And I would, I would try to almost play social activity director so that I could make them have the connection. Matchmaker, matchmaker. Right. Yeah, that's right. right. You know, it's interesting. I don't want to forget the thought in my head about this, but you are starting in 96 um, in a way that's really, even before you really knew ALS, mm -hmm. true to the chapter's mission, which was about, uh, the, about listening to patients and having mm -hmm. empathy, mm -hmm. um, which sometimes we think is sorely lacking in the world. <laughs> uh, but you, you know, I really appreciate that the first time you heard about it, you had an emotional response. Oh, yes. And, and a real one. And that was through words. And so a lot of patients, we talked about the story of mm -hmm. Shelby Oppenheimer, who's passed away from ALS, who was very young. And she was at the library or bookstore reading about it. And that's how she found out. So back then, patients were not using the internet to find out about ALS. Correct. And they were in a very isolated place because they couldn't communicate after they heard that first information. Correct. So the, the information was um, a lot more isolating and, and hard to grasp and... Though it's different now in terms of it's still hard to grasp. Uh, but you had to connect those patients early on to make sure they were getting the right information, they were connecting to the right people. And, and how could you do that? Because you, you told me that once you got on the Internet in the early 90s here, uh -huh. you didn't have it that much. No. Um, so when I first started, we had eight staff members in the chapter office. Mm -hmm. um, was that everyone that worked in the chapter? Yes, that Does was that all of us. include the people that worked in the Hershey? No, no, no. That was just people physically okay. in the chapter office. Okay? Right. And we did have remote staff. Mm -hmm. We had a, a mental health nurse who was remote. And then we had um, Sue Walsh in the Hersey area that was remote. And then we had a nurse in North Central in the uh, Wilkes-Barre area that was remote. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, actually, she was hired after I was. But that's, but you still know. still around that time right, frame. Yeah. Right. So... Each of us had a computer at our desk, but none of us had internet. The only person who had internet access was Ellen's secretary. And so we, like anybody in the office who wanted to check the internet, had to wait for her to go on lunch. And then it was like from 12 to 1, we were frantically checking the internet at the time. Um, and at, at that point, there was one listserv for ALS. Um, and... People with ALS or their caregivers or anybody could post a question. And then, obviously, people would answer. And a listserv um, is like a message board, right? Right. It was a message board. It was a very rudimentary message board. But it was at least a way to get ALS information out there. But even at that time, I would read something and go, that's not right! You know? yeah. And so, and that 
perpetuates today. There's so much misinformation on the internet. You know, it's hard to know. Right. Um, or, you know, now we're living in the fake news era or fake, you know, Whatever. medical information. So you have to be very careful about that. Um, but that was the only way for a person with ALS to be able to post a question on the internet and get an answer. And I was in charge of checking that every day. So you had to check for facts. You had to check if they were in our area. Right. And because you didn't... Nothing... This was a national way. This was a national listserv. Right. But you're right. If somebody posted a, a question, you know, with a, a uh, you know, with their name and maybe where they lived, I'm like, oh, they're in my area, right. you know? And are they with the chapter or not already? Yeah, Who exactly. Knows? Right. So just that alone is time consuming. Right. And so you're tracking people down, making sure they get the information. Uh, and so that was very challenging for them. So the way they understood ALS was very different. Correct. And the way we understood patients was very different then too, right? Because right. we couldn't, we didn't, right now, I know, because I've talked with people, patient services, I don't have access to all the information you do. Um, but you have a whole list of, these are the communications we've had. Right. Someone like a um, Melissa Call or Ann Cooney, um, who are wonderful social workers with the chapter, they will have a list of, dozens, maybe hundreds of communications with a patient in various ways. Back then, you didn't. Right, and it was it was very difficult for a person with ALS to find information about ALS or even find a local provider. And, and I mean, the internet has made that a lot easier, but we still have people with ALS that don't know about us yet. Right. Um, but we have ways of getting that information out there now. Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and, and you know, all Instagram, all the, the social media websites. And so if it's an elderly patient that might not know about local resources, they might have a, a child or a grandchild that will go on and get the information for um, right. their grandparents. And that, and that information can be immediately accessible. Whereas when I started, you know, somebody would get diagnosed, they call into the chapter, well, we'll send you something out, snail mail. And, you know, it might take two or three days to get there. And it was a huge packet of information that was extremely intimidating to a, a newly diagnosed person. But we wanted them, because of the inability to access information immediately, we wanted you to have all the information in front of you. Right. <laughs> um, and plus, how if you have to send it multiple things, it would take longer to get exactly. something. Exactly. And it also costs more. We're a nonprofit. We want to be careful about our fundraised dollars, so we don't want to keep... You know, oh, you need this now. We're going to mail it out. This now. And I mean, there's also a matter of personnel. We only had one secretary at the time right. for, for patient services. So, And you're right. It can be very intimidating. Right now, you have like one sentence that's good. And even today, as you mentioned, you, even with people who are well-connected, they don't know about our services. So I can mm -hmm. only imagine the disparity that existed in 96, 97, 98. Because I've been to events where a person from patient services will go up to someone and say, I don't know you. Right. And... Then they say, you know, oh, you're having that problem. You're not using our home care program. You're not using our clinic. Well, right. These are available. Like, right. It's like you said, you like spending the money more than raising it. <laughs> and everyone in, our department, in that department thankfully has the same mindset because right. you see somebody as ALS, like, let me give you stuff. Right. What can I do for you? Right. But I think that the, the, um, the connection and finding us goes back to why Felice and Ellen started the chapters because people couldn't get connected. Right, exactly. And so the chapter, the mission was all about connecting patients from mm -hmm. the beginning. And so how quickly did, you obviously were using that listserv, mm -hmm. um, but the internet grew. Mm -hmm. You have been um, 
you've been very instrumental for me being able to do my job better. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Um, and hopefully I can help you somewhat. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you because I'm the communication director, I'm not just here to raise money and here to help people with ALS. It's like just raising money is like, well, why are we doing it? You know, we need it so we can help people. So you have seen how we can use technology and the chapter to connect people. Like, so how quickly did you say, ooh, here is this new thing. Here are new things that we can do to assist family. I saw it immediately. Yeah. I think it took a lot longer for other people right. in the chapter to recognize it. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because I was one of the younger chapter members at the time, mm-hmm. or chapter staff. Um, but what we saw as the internet grew and access to information grew, um, the number of people that came to our personal events went down. Right. Um, and that's because people could get their information elsewhere. So we struggled for a couple years going, are we going to do this event? I mean, the cost of doing an event with renting the space and the food, because you have to feed people. Right. Um, and the cost of speakers. Um, all, our do- all our dollars are fundraised dollars in this chapter. So mm-hmm. we have to be very in tune with how we're spending those dollars. And if we're spending those dollars to put on an event and only have 20 people come when we used to have 100, you know, the struggle is the 20 people appreciated it, but it cost us a lot of money. <laughs> and for those 20 people, because you said from the start, one of the things you did with the listserv and reading that, because it wasn't ours, mm-hmm. it was another one, um, is connecting people. And I've mm-hmm. been to a lot of events where it's the same people that were at it. Right. I'm involved in some local community things. And right. sometimes you look out in the audience like, these are the same people that were here last time. Right. So you would rather have 20 new people than 50 people that are already all connected. Right. Correct. But uh, you you want to do an event to obviously make the greatest impact. Right. So. Yes, you're right. I'd the numbers rather have, may not be true, but right, that's your job right, as a exactly, time, reach right, out to more right. people. And what we did at the time is, especially with patient services events, we had events specific for um, where the person was in the trajectory of the disease. So one of my favorite events that I, that I was in charge of was called Young Family Day. And it was open to people with ALS and their children, and they had to be under 40 or 45. Okay, mm-hmm. so the we knew that there were going to be young children there, right? And we used to have um, so during the day we would bring the adults in and have a support group, and then the kids. We had therapists come in. We had a puppet therapist come in. We had a music therapist to come in and try to help kids work through the feelings that they're having that their parent has this disease. Right. And so not only do we make the connections with the adults, the kids got connected because. You know, we have a significant number of people who have children, young children, and their only connection now is on the Internet. Yeah. Whereas if you had a face-to-face connection and then continued that, you know, at the time through phone calls and even emails, there, there was, it was just nice to, for a child to meet another child going through the same thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even now, we talked, before we got on here, we were talking about our kids. I have a three-year-old who, if he takes my phone... Thankfully, he goes to YouTube and starts watching a little kid's video. Right. But, you know, that means a kid, even at a very young age, can be looking up information. So Correct. it's important to the chapter. And you're talking about that it wasn't just the technology, but the values and the mission of the chapter were Correct. guiding how we use that technology. Right. 
and how we did the local groups because families they need a a way to connect with people who are like minded because they have right. certain issues. Right. And and we still have a robust resource group which used to be called support groups. It's grow it's it's bigger now than it was then. Right. And but they were started you mentioned last week in in homes. Right. Um again to make the the connection for people with ALS. Um and even today it's the same but we could in essence we do have um remote um, support groups. We have a, a support group for caregivers of ventilated patients and it's online because those people often can't get out of the house to physically get to a support group. That is something we would never have been able to do um, in, when I started. I, it, it, and now we're being able to connect these caregivers of this one particular group together once a month via the internet and talk about issues specific to what they are going through in their life. You know, this this is what we had discussed before, that our connection, our face-to-face -face interactions um, had been going up, or at least were steady when you got here. Then people started using the internet more, and they were, it was easier than, because it's hard for a person with ALS to get out, as you know, mm -hmm. and it was even harder then, I imagine, though it's never been easy. And so they went down that face-to-face -face participation, but then it's gone a lot up, because now... Um, and you can say this better than I can, but now because of the internet and because of the captors technology, we can tailor groups mm -hmm. to what people need. So like you said, we can have a group for people about ventilation needs, right. um, about families, whatnot. Um, people know about what's available. They can find it as opposed to calling in and getting a busy signal, or mm -hmm. emailing yeah. and only getting once an hour. Right. So, and we know local areas because we can track our things and now we need one in you know, this part of the, of the jurisdiction of the region so that we can reach out to those people. So now there's more participation in events than ever before. And and I, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I also think that after, what, 20 some odd years of the internet, um, that people are realizing the lack of face-to-face -face contact is a real downside right. of technology. Yeah. And so they do want to bring their families to a walk or raise money for the walk, or, or they, and so that they can meet other people um, face to face. Yeah. Um, the internet's very impersonal, and yeah. I think people are just realizing now that we're missing that. Have you seen that from the families that, because I, I have seen a lot of interactions with people with ALS on RPHs, and they talk a lot online because that's their outlook, mm -hmm. but you can tell a lot of people want to do more outside of the home, and sometimes mm -hmm. they can't. Right. Um, have you seen that where now there's a lot of people who go to things just because they they want to get beyond the computer? Yeah, yeah, but I also think... Not as the only reason that maybe... But. Right, they do. Um, but I also think that the computer then becomes their uh, outlet when they physically can't get somewhere. Um, because often I'll ask someone, you know, what do you use a computer for? And sometimes people will say, well, the internet, and then I, I will follow up, how, how important is social media? Mm -hmm. And some of my folks, it's, it's what I do. It's, it's my life every day. And what I sometimes see is that as the disease progresses, people with ALS are relying on social media more and more and more. Right. Um, and Which has pluses and minuses. Right. But, for example, you know, if I wanted to... Um, go and, and march or protest something or advocate for myself. 
I might be able to do it, but maybe you know, even though I'm able-bodied financially, I couldn't do it or whatever. But now I can do that mm-hmm. on social media. I can advocate. I can be part of ALS advocacy on social media now. Plus, or, you don't want to do that by yourself. You don't right. want to go to like your senator's office talking about ALS. But if you go on Facebook and say, oh, there's 10 other people going, then you feel comfortable because exactly. you're not the only one. Exactly. So you can feel some togetherness before it even starts. Right, exactly. And you can, you can get... A, a, a coalition going right <laughs> and um, and and have um, an idea and an, an objective before you get to wherever you're going yeah and even if you can't physically be there you could still use technology to call your congressman your senator or whatever and say I'm, I'm advocating on behalf of ALS people with ALS and this is what I'm asking you to do so even if they physically can't be there, they can still advocate for issues that are important to them um, with government officials and through social media. Now, you mentioned social media. So that's really important to what we do now. Mm-hmm. And there's still, as you know, many of the people involved, not just here, but nationally uh, maybe, and everywhere, that, that still don't see all the things that we do with it mm-hmm. and can do with it. Um, how quickly did you see, because you saw how the internet worked mm-hmm. to connect people on a very rudimentary level, um, how it was changing the way we talked, how quickly did you, as someone working on assisted technology, see the benefit of social media for our patient families? <laughs> well, I heard about it. I was a holdout on yeah. Facebook. <laughs> I didn't join Facebook the day it launched. Well, Took me a little bit. Um, but what I was hearing from people with ALS are about... You know, these Facebook pages and mm-hmm. the ability to connect with other people. And, and then I was like, wow, you know, so you could connect before, but it was email. It was very impersonal. I mean, it was composing a letter. And if you wanted to attach a picture, you could. Right. But if you recall in the early days with the doo-doo-doo mm-hmm. and your modem, loading a picture could take a long time. And, and someone else picked time, up the phone. That's right. And at the time, if you were using a dial-up, you were paying per the minute. Right. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my, yeah. My parents remember that because they were paying the phone bill. They were not happy. Yes. So the AOL may have been free. Right. But the phone bill was suddenly very high. Exactly. Um, no, AOL was nineteen ninety nine a month, wasn't it? You had to pay for AOL. Well, I mean... Yeah, I, but anyway... I don't know. You got so many free hours. Right, exactly. So... The 90s were so long ago, <laughs> <laughs> But now, um, the the ability to, to, to connect through Facebook, you know, um, and obviously share milestones. But, all, you know, a lot of people will, will you know, they'll post a comment. Um, I'm thinking about getting a feeding tube. What are people's pros and cons? And you could get a hundred responses, okay, mm-hmm. on on especially if you're on one of the ALS pages. Um, and like the internet, you have to read them with a a filter on. Right. <laughs> um, but that's information that you really couldn't get, even if you put it out on the one listserv we did have. You that was reliant on somebody having a dial up at the time and a computer. Um, almost everyone I encounter now has a smartphone or a tablet or a laptop or all the three. So they have access to the internet. Mm-hmm. And because of the smartphone, because for those who are listening, and this may come back to haunt me, but <laughs> because I'm the social media manager and if someone comments on our Facebook page or tweets at us, um, I get a notification. So if someone has a question about ALS, 
or about an event or something like that, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily going to respond to you at 11 o'clock at night, but I can say when I get it, oh, Elisa, so-and-so has a question about how to get this. Mm -hmm. And now, as you had said last time we talked before this got deleted, um, you know, before it would take weeks to get something. Correct. Now, not only can I tell you that someone's responded within seconds, you can get something to them within hours or days Mm -hmm. as opposed to weeks or months when their disease progression came. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I, I love social media. I do. (laughs) I know I'm preaching on the choir. Um, And I truly wish, like you said, people could see the benefits of it. Um, But I also think it's got, it's getting a bad rap (laughs) sometimes, but um, it's, it is challenging when some people put stuff out there and as a person on my end, I'm not going to argue with people. Right. So there is, as we said, fake news, but to put it in a really misinformation from good-hearted people. It doesn't mean they're bad people putting it, but like, mm-hmm. oh, I heard about this drug that works, or I heard about this thing we should do. It's like, oh, no, you I know. You don't want to do that. So I have to like tell you or someone else, hey, these people are spreading this, Correct. and you might want to nip that in the bud, or someone should communicate with so-and-so because that's not good. Right. But... But there are so many positives that right. I see. And and I can't just say about social media. Um, the ability to access your computer, and many people with ALS, if you've heard me talk to you at clinic or, or on the phone, you can still use your laptop even if you can't use your hands. Okay, there are many ways to access your laptop. Um, and so, yes, social media, but other things. Like, the one thing that people ask me as an assistive technologist is, I want to read a book. Mm-hmm. And you can do that on your laptop, on your iPad, on your tablet. Um, so, I want to be able to help you use technology to let you do what you enjoy doing. Right. You can live a little, and, and as we discuss, and we'll, we'll have a different podcast this year, I think, about the advancements of patient technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you can tell people... Oh, well, on your tablet, um, you can do all these things, and now it's a normal thing. So you're not doing a patient thing. You're not doing a something that's a medical thing right. that looks different. I have an app, iPad. You have an iPad. Other people have tablets of all kinds. You know, it's just a normal thing. So if a person with ALS is reading from their tablet, that's not a medical thing they're doing. It's just what people Correct. do. But if we're talking about when I first started and somebody asked me that question. Yeah. Much different. Um, much the different answer. And so the answer was a page turner. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you have to picture this huge device that sits in front of you and you put a, your book in it and then you put a metal bar down in the middle. And what you would have is a switch near your hand or your foot. You hit that switch and an arm comes out and it's supposed to grab the piece of paper and turn it. And then hold it, okay? Mm-hmm. $3,500. What? Yes. That sounds like the Nintendo robot that came out in 85. No. And you know, believe it or not, it's still for sale and it's still the same price. <laughs> but that was the only option we had for people to read a book. And that was, I mean, it was, to me, I, I mean, I love reading. I mean, reading is everything to me. I right. love being able to go to another world or explore 
I somebody else's mind. Really right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and having that taken away from me would and it and I will tell you it would be my biggest. Yeah. Um, uh, that's more isolating than not being able to get online. Exactly. And so, but we didn't have anything then. Right. And so I know, I, and people still today balk at electronic books. But there's your option. It's $3,500 for a machine, which, by the way, doesn't work probably more than uh, 60% of the time. The page gets stuck or I whatever. Be so <laughs> I know. And it's huge, by the way. Or electronic books. And, and I know that conversion is not easy because it took me a long time to get used to my Kindle and I still do physically miss holding a book. But I would rather have access to electronic books than be banned from a book right. altogether. Yeah. So now people can um, access things in a normal way. So mm -hmm. everyone can feel normalized no matter where their disease is, in mm -hmm. ways that they couldn't back then. Absolutely. So Absolutely a lot correct. of the advancements have happened. So everyone's almost on a level playing field. Um, and obviously, they're not running and doing all these right. things, but you're able to connect more. So we're, we have advanced so far in how we're able to connect with patients. You connect through Twitter. You, I do. You're I'm, very good at I'm that. A, I'm a, I need an intervention probably soon. <laughs> well, you and me both, but that's a whole other thing. I, I, my thumb hurts from all the retweeting I do, <laughs> personally, but... So you've seen that Twitter can be a really good tool at disseminating information Absolutely. and learning things. Even if you're not connecting generally, you, I learn about people's complaints. Mm -hmm. I learn about people's hopes. Mm -hmm. I learn about other things that are happening that I'm not aware of. So how has Twitter, how, how have these things helped you and patient services do a better job? Well, I rely on Twitter. I'll be, I, I mean, I rely on Twitter to get the latest information in my field. Right, and because, I rely on Twitter to retweet what you said. Right. <laughs> but assistive technology is constantly changing because technology changes. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I can be talking about our smartphone, and maybe next week there's going to be a new one that comes out. Oh, there and will then, certainly be a new one then, that comes out. Right, and then, then that'll revolutionize something. And, and so keeping up with technology is challenging. And so with Twitter, you can do certain searches based on just XYZ criteria, okay? So if I did a search on Google and just put in assistive technology, I might get like 10, 12,000 websites. And I have to click on the website and try to figure out is there something new I should be thinking about. Whereas with Twitter, I can do a certain search for assistive technology. And anybody who is tagged assistive technology, it'll come up. And like yesterday I was reading... Uh, you know, new brain-computer interface. I would have never found that just by doing a Google search. Right, and, and as we're talking, I just typed in assistive technology into Google, and I got 6.7 million results. Okay, there you go. So, and so I mean, nobody has time to to go through that information. So, so Twitter allows you just to specifically search certain things. And if you just search the hashtag, which if you don't know what a hashtag is, it's a pound sign, ALS. It'll come up with all these different ALS um, tweets. Right. And so then you can specifically look for ALS tweets. Or you can follow us. That's true. Or you. you can, um, and I want to take this break for a second here because um, we're getting close to um, completing this topic anyway. Follow the ALS Association on every social media platform at ALS Philadelphia, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, a couple other things. And follow Elisa at um on facebook i'm alisa brownlee als um and then on twitter i am at at a l s a s s 
A-S-S-I-S-T-I-V-E-T-E-C, Assistive Tech, just no H, because right. I ran out of room. And when we post this, we'll retweet yes. from you. Yeah. Um, but now you're able to connect with people in that way. Absolutely. And a lot of people find me yeah. through Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. Um, and I'm delighted that people can find me. I've had people who message us on Facebook whom I don't know, I've never heard of, and they say, oh, I have this device I don't need, or right. um, we need this here. So that's really a change that we can do. And then one other thing I really want to um, touch on before we, we finish here, and when you started, it took a long time to get information to people, and it also, you're talking about being on a, on a phone line, <laughs> yeah. a modem, that just getting a picture would take forever. But now we have video. Right. And that helps so much because we did some patient services videos together. We've done some with Hershey Medical Center. And so now we're able to educate people in ways that you've never been able to before. So how has that, how has YouTube and video in general helped to advance our mission? Yeah, and you're right. We've been talking about Facebook and Twitter, but YouTube has revolutionized to me what I do in, in terms of assistive technology because... I feel it's what my field is very visual. You have to see what I'm explaining to you and see it in use because you you're used to doing things the way you were used to doing things, using a mouse, you know, using your keyboard. And now all of a sudden a person with ALS has hand difficulties and they can't do that. So me trying to explain what a a virtual keyboard is with a head mouse is like like speaking Greek to someone. Yeah. But if I have my tablet or my smartphone, I'll bring it up on YouTube and they go, oh, is that what you were talking about? Right. And it's the same thing um, for, for people who don't have access to clinics or live in a remote area or a rural area where they don't have ALS specialists. They can at least get on and look at our um, uh, YouTube video about how to do a proper transfer. Mm-hmm. Which is so important. And right. You, and as someone like me who's not doesn't have ALS, I, mean, I had right. it in my family, but you know, haven't had to do those, I wouldn't know what to do. Right. And so maybe if the, the family can't do it, they, they show it to their local home visiting PT or OT. And the PT or OT, ah, is that what they're talking about? Okay, let me show you now. Right. So we're not just disseminating information to patients and families, but also healthcare professionals. Um, and, you know, I, I received an email last week from someone who saw our YouTube video about how to use a letter board. Okay. Um, it's not intuitive. Even, no. even though, you know, it, it, it is intuitive if you can point to a letter, but if you can't, it's called partner assisted scanning and people can't visualize it. And now I can at least say, go to this website or go to this YouTube site and look at it. And that's what this person did. I get it. Can you send me letter boards now? And now they have the video when they forget it because it doesn't matter how smart you are. If you tell right. me something, I'm going to forget it. Right. They can go back to it over and over again and be like, oh, that's what I should do. And right. it's not even just a technology. We did a video where you were talking about the proper way to communicate with someone with yes, no, and maybe. Right. Right? That was the right. – and, and so I was like eye-opening to me. <laughs> I know. I just – and it made sense. You know, it made sense. You're right. going to be talking to people. This is how someone can't speak well, how you can interact. And Correct. That, that kind of stuff because ALS is 5 to 10% familial, which 
which means that most of the people that come here have never had it in their family. Correct. And so they're very intelligent people. You know, we're not talking about people who are intelligent when they come here. They just, why would they know these things? Exactly. And so now they have a way to know these things that they couldn't 20 years ago. Exactly. And, And so, again, trying to describe to someone how to use your computer without your hands is very difficult, but yeah. I can show them on YouTube. Right. Um, and we can talk about communication issues and see videos on YouTube. It, it, I am, I, I'm a visual learner and we do often ask our folks with ALS, how best do you learn? There are people who l- learn best by reading. I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to see it. And YouTube has been so important. And, and we have a, a, a site on YouTube. The National ALS Association has a site on YouTube. Um, all verified information yeah. where you're going to get um, the the correct information that you need from a reliable source. And you know, that's really an important thing. And I think that's something we can kind of focus on here is the last couple things. Um, are the technology has changed and evolved. There's more ways to connect. But from the start of the ALS Association and our chapter, it's been about being a reliable source mm-hmm. to listen and communicate and help. And so you you want people to get the right information, not because we want them listening to us, though we do, but because we want to help. And so you've done a really good job making sure people get the right news, the right resources, so that they are most assisted as opposed to hurting themselves by mm-hmm. listening to the wrong thing. And you mentioned transfer. You do that wrong, two people aren't able to get up. Correct. Correct. And uh, yes, it could not only hurt the person with ALS, but if your caregiver gets hurt, right. that that can be a difference of you living at home versus you living in a facility. Yeah. Or both of you living in a facility. Correct. Or we, both of you ending up in the hospital right, or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've seen situations. Yes, and, I know. And I'm sure that now some of these things that to you and I are just like, well, that took us a half hour to do. Right. Um. Are, are very much helping people's lives in ways that when you started were not possible. Right. And then I and I can circle back to not only um, YouTube, but then somebody on Facebook could post the same question mm-hmm. and get an answer from a caregiver. Um, like, th- that uh, I have this problem, anybody else. And most of what I have found with assistive technology is that it came from a family or a person in need. And they couldn't figure out a way, then they figured out a way, and it became mainstream. Right. And so, you know, we have multiple outlets just to say, here's my problem, what's the solution? We didn't have that way back when. Right. (laughs) Back in the old days. (laughs) And now, like back then, if someone asked a question, you could only provide them with the information available. Yeah. Now if someone asks a question, you can craft an answer quickly that you couldn't. Correct. So, um, you know, I want to finish here saying now we can do this a podcast, obviously, which we're doing here, not to get too meta with, Mm -hmm. but, you know, we have a research podcast with Dr. Jill Yersak that we posted. We've had assistive technology and travel podcasts with you and some others. So that's how that works. So I really appreciate that, you know, like you said, you started with empathy. You started with listening before this technology advanced. Our chapter was founded on those, um, bedrocks of listening and having a promise to patients. And and so you and the technology have been advancing that mission ever since. Ever since. So thank you, Elisa. Again, how can people connect with you on Twitter especially? Uh, Twitter is at ALS Assistive Tech without the H. 
and Facebook, Elisa Brownlee ALS. And you can follow all of our formats on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at ALS Philadelphia. If there are kinds of videos or things that you want to see on our social media platforms, please email me, Tony at ALSPhiladelphia.org, or just tweet us or message us because it's really not that hard to do a new video or podcast with Elisa or someone else to say, hey, here's some information. We don't always know what people want, but we know that we can find a way to get it to you. So thank you all for listening. Again, go to our website at www.alsphiladelphia.org. Help us to honor the promise, advance the mission, and together we can help defeat ALS. Thank you.